This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Clavio. Clavio is a platform that helps growth focused e commerce brands drive more sales with super targeted, highly relevant email, Facebook, and Instagram marketing. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance, and my guest today is James Fell. He is a very popular health writer and speaker. And he is also the author of a book we're going to talk about today, The Holy Shit Moment, How Lasting Change Can Happen in an Instant. So, James, thanks for joining me. Thanks very much for having me on the show, John. So we didn't talk about this uh, when we were off air, but that's the first time I've said that word on air. I I run a very PG show here. And uh, so uh, I must admit, though, I was in the airport the other day and uh, the top three like bestseller titles they had facing out. Um, two of them had the F word in them. One of them said ass. And <laughs> I guess it's just the world we live in today, isn't it? Well, and the funny thing is, is that I was at first opposed to that title. Um, and we don't we don't have to say it again. You want to uh, respectful of people that, that don't want the potty mouth uh, on their show. And, and that's fine. But it it came about because, you know, the book is about the, the science of the life changing epiphany. And that is what, you know, in common vernacular, people will refer to it as, as a holy S moment. And uh, at, that, uh, at that point, it's not even a curse word to him, right? It's, it's like a phrase. Yeah. And and so I was talking to my agent. We were weeks away from pitching it to publishers and we still didn't have a title. And he had me he said, just come up with like 10 different title ideas and send it to me. And that one was one of the ones on the list and it was way down the list. And he came back, said, let's call it this. And I said, I don't know, man, I don't really like that one. And he, and he said, no, it's good. It's accurate. And and I think publishers will like it. And and later on, we can change it if we come up with something better, but we need something now to, to, to pitch. And I said, and I said, fine. And as it turned out, the publishers loved the t- title. Everybody loved the title <laughs> and, and on and on since then. And I'm still like, yeah, I'm not too sure about it, but so many people loved it that that through the process when they heard about it, I said, "Okay, I guess it's grown on me." <laughs> so. Well, and and I think as you noted, that's kind of a phrase that people are used to. It's not just gratuitous or uncreative, you know, to stick it in there. I mean, I think that's yeah. one that people can relate. To. Yeah, it, it's a it's a thing. I mean, people uh, people have used that term before. I, I didn't invent it. I just turned it into a book title. <laughs> As you mentioned, the book's about the science of life-changing epiphanies. Um, when suddenly someone has a sudden lightning strike of understanding that awakens their passion. I'm reading this from a, something you had written. Would it be safe to say that your journey started that way? Your journey to becoming a a very popular health writer, I should say. Well, it absolutely did. There was the big transformative event in my early 20s that took me from a very lazy man to an industrious, hardworking one that I went from flunking out of school and being, you know, in debt and drinking way too much and in in poor physical condition to, to transforming everything because of a sudden lightning strike of awakening. And then later on, there were there's been more clarifying epiphanies that came later on. I was I ended up getting an MBA and and working in business for about a dozen years, and I I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it either. And and it was about the age of forty when I I just said life is too short to to spend most of my waking hours doing something that I'm not really passionate about. And and I knew that writing was my passion; that it was something that that. I was very excited and I wanted to see if I could make a go of it and see if I could turn this into a career. And when I when I took that 
step, there was an overwhelming sense of rightness that, yes, this is what I meant to do. And I worked harder at that than I'd ever worked at anything in my life. <laughs> and and it paid off. It was because I was so excited to, to do my job each day that a year after I had my first published article, I had a column in the Los Angeles Times. Yeah. So, so you, I don't know, do you share that, what that epiphany was, or does that not make any sense to the story? Oh, oh, the original one from my, my early 20s? Yes, I absolutely do. So I tell that in chapter one. That So I was, I was flunking out of university. I was about to be kicked out. And, uh, and, you know, I was, I was overweight and I was, my credit card companies were calling and, uh, and I read, uh, one of those motivational quotes, which I'm not saying that I'm this huge fan of motivational quotes. It's just that this one resonated at that space and time. I was, I was just at the right point of my life to, to receive this sudden enlightenment. And I, I read it in my university newspaper while I was sitting in the food court and it was a quote from, of all people, folk singer Joan Baez. And, and the quote read, action is the antidote to despair. And when I read that, I realized that all of these problems that I was facing down were of my own doing. It was, it was a hole that I dug myself and that I had the ability to take action to fix it all. All of these things could be fixed via my own effort. And and so that was the first sort of big insight. And then the sudden flash of self-reflection came that made me realize that I'd been lazy my entire life and I'd been skating through on cruise control and that that if I just got down and started to work really hard, that there was light at the end of the tunnel. And then what happens next in psychological terms is called dramatic relief, where you still see all of those problems still exist. They're still there, still very real, but you're relieved because you know that you're going to fix them. They're they're going to be gone eventually because you're going to work toward the resolution. You see that light at the end of the tunnel. And I did. Instead of going to the campus bar to toss back beer, I went to the register's office and um, launched an appeal to beg my way out of my failing report card. And I told them I went to that meeting saying I'm a changed man and they believed me. And uh, and after that, I was a very good student. <laughs> well, uh, great for them for taking a chance because I bet you they'd heard that story before. Maybe. <laughs> I, maybe the passion came through. I think I was pretty convincing because I believed it at my core. I believed that that I had changed. And, and I guess they they got that that vibe. And I ended up getting two master's degrees. So it was a good investment on their part, too, right? So um, let me ask you this. Thousands of other people read that Joan Baez quote that day and still flunked out. Well, what was the difference? <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, my point is, what was the difference? Why did that strike you and not those other thousand people? I mean, because, you know, that quote's, I don't know if that was in a song or something. I mean, that's been around. You know, that hasn't that hasn't moved a lot of people to act. So so what was what was the thing going on in your brain that that made you choose to act. It's like when that person, you know, my father-in-law tried to quit smoking for 25 years and then finally just decided to quit one day. And that was it. That was the end of the story. I mean, what happens? Well, and your father-in-law's example, um, there's some research in the book about people that quit smoking. The, the ones that suddenly just say, that's it, I'm done, are far more successful than the ones that do the planned attempt. But it, but he did but the it, planned attempt, you know, 15 times, you know. So yeah. like then one day it just clicked. 
Yeah. So that was the, the click was the one that worked. And that's the research that shows that, that those ones are more likely to be successful. And in my case, um, I was at the right space in time for a few different reasons. One is called crystallization of discontent, where um, you have various different problems in your life that uh, individually, they don't seem like that big of a deal. But when you are able to look at them as a whole, that whole becomes greater than the sum of its parts, where you reach something akin to a breaking point where you're just like, I cannot go in this direction any longer. And I think that the thing that added the most weight to this was that the fear of being kicked out of school made me wonder, what's my girlfriend going to think? Because she was a straight A student who was destined for med school. And I worried that if I flunked out, that it would potentially spell doom for our relationship. And and that uh, put more fear into me than anything else was that was something that that felt unbearable to me was was losing this woman that I loved. And I and I think that that was one of the things that really pushed me to toward uh, this realization that I had to change. And and everything worked out. We've been together 29 years now. <laughs> I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Clavio. Clavio helps you build meaningful customer relationships by listening and understanding cues from your customers. And this allows you to easily turn that information into valuable marketing messages. There's powerful segmentation, email autoresponders that are ready to go, great reporting. You wanna learn a, bit, a little bit about the secret to building customer relationships? They've got a really fun series called Clavio's Beyond Black Friday. It's a docu-series, a lot of fun, quick lessons. Just head on over to clavio.com, Beyond BF, Beyond Black Friday. You, um, in, in a previous book, um, wrote about weight loss, and you've worked with folks trying to lose weight. And that's probably another one of those where somebody struggles for years and then one day is, you know, or maybe six months, eight months later is 80 pounds lighter. Um, for some reason, something happened and it clicked. I mean, is it – obviously, that's very similar probably to the smoking, but is there is there a moment that – or something that goes on in our brain – you know, that, that makes something like that stick. Yes. And the answer's a little bit complicated. So bear with me for a moment, but that was actually working with people who'd lost a lot of weight was what first gave me the idea for this book. So I'll, I'll, and, and what it boils down to is, um, it's called, uh, the, uh, Rokic's model of personality. And it relates to what's called the identity value model of self-control. So the the model of personality is that you, if you've ever seen the, the movie Shrek, he says, ogres are like onions. Well, people are like onions too, in that we have layers to our personality. And at the external layer are our actions, our behaviors. And uh, then you go down a layer and you've got beliefs and then there's attitudes and then there's your values. And then at the core is your identity, yourself. And when people focus on changing something like weight loss, they focus on their behaviors, eat better, eat less, get some exercise. And if that is in conflict with your core identity and your values, that's an incredible struggle. It's a model that's built on suffering where you have to, you know, use willpower and grit and, and it's just, it's painful and you got to suck it up. And it's just the, the failure rate is tremendously high. And it's one of those reasons why we preach baby steps where you minimize the suffering by just doing a little bit that's only a little uncomfortable. And eventually you get used to it and you slowly develop habits and drag your 
yourself over a motivational uh, tipping point. And the failure rate for that is is just so high because it, it's just such a uh, an uninspiring way to approach it. Now, the the shift that we talk about in this this book with the the life changing epiphany is it doesn't change be it's not about changing behaviors it's about changing core identity and core values and that so the example of a man named chuck gross chuck weighed over 400 pounds he'd been heavy his entire life he was the epitome of the person that that the likelihood of them losing weight and losing and keeping it off was extraordinarily remote he had tried and failed to lose weight many times but then something very unexpected happened his wife came out of the bathroom and holding in her hand was a positive pregnancy test. And at first he said he was overjoyed because of the prospect of being a father. Like I said, it was unexpected. And then he realized in a flash that this time he was going to lose weight. It was going to work. He was going to keep it off. And the reason why is that what shifted was his identity uh, in a moment, he went from not a father to congratulations, buddy, you're going to be a dad. And along with that came an entirely new set of values, which were I value the idea of being a really fit father that can roughhouse with my kids and, you know, have a good, long, healthy life and and be that type of a role model for my children and and all that type of thing for him. This was more important than anything else in his life. It was more important than sitting on the couch. It was more important than overeating on treat food. And, he, and here is a direct quote from Chuck. I didn't have to struggle with my motivation. It came built in. And he said it was a fait accompli. It was a tremendous sentence of relief that he knew that his weight, pro- he still weighed over 400 pounds, but he knew his weight problems were over because he was going to lose it. And that's all there was to it. He lost over 200 pounds and he's kept it off more than a decade because of that core identity and value shift. So we've been talking primarily about somebody trying to change a bad habit, smoking, <clears throat> losing weight or, or eating you know, healthy. How does this apply to that person that wakes up one day and goes, this is what I'm going to do with my life or this is how I'm going to innovate this product? I mean, it, it applies equally, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. So there's there's the breaking point concept of you know, maybe rock bottom or just crystallization of discontent. But then there's also the good to great scenario, which I'm, I'm stealing that line as the, the title of a book by Jim Collins, which is a great book about um, how corporations can can have tremendous success. And, and I referenced the book a, a number of times in mine. And it's the it, it's all about the the vision quest where suddenly you have this new passion in life that's been unlocked, which is like me with writing was that that I felt that that I had to become uh, a writer and I worked harder at that than anything I ever have. And I got to tell you, making it as a writer isn't easy. You got to work hard. And and we see there's examples of that in the book of one woman that uh, she had an epiphany while she was walking across the parking lot that she was going to go back to school and get her uh, get her Ph.D. in pharmacology. And other examples of a woman that, that decided to move away from home and, and take some uh, to launch a new career because she just realized that her family environment wasn't good for her anymore. So these these types of quests where it, it's about it's about finding purpose in life. So I know that a lot of books have been written about 
happiness, how to be a happier person. Well, happiness is mostly a state of mind. And, and I think, you know, some people it may always elude them and other people are just naturally happy no matter what happens. This is about flourishing, where you look at what your capacities and your talents and your abilities and your education and your wisdom all makes who you are. And you look at that and you realize, what could I do with this? If I was suddenly inspired to strive for it, what could I use with my internal abilities and my situation? And and how could I make myself a better person and improve, you know, do do things that are good for me and good for other people and and maybe even go on to change the world. And that is the type of thing that will drive you endlessly. It'll keep you awake at night when you should sleep. Um, and I'm a big fan of these these ambitious quests. These I, I refer to it as, you know what, impossible dreams, you need to let one those go. Implausible dreams can be incredibly motivating because the potential upside has so much value for us that we feel like this is the the the, the realization of this quest would be so amazing that I, I I got to do it. I got to chase it. I got to give it a try. I mean, I guess that's the closest thing there is to a process for this, right? I mean, because as I can, I could see listeners kind of going, okay, this is great, but how do I find my moment? I mean, what you just described is sort of the process, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's an incredibly uh, 50,000 foot <laughs> executive summary view. Um, I wrote an entire book and it's not a short book. It's, it's on the longer side that is filled beginning to end with uh, action items, you know, to use an MBA term, <laughs> that, that I, there are tasks I give the reader all the way through of um, things that you can do to have your holy ass moment, your life-changing epiphany. And it's really hard to, to boil down into a couple of minutes, but a lot of it boil, uh, a lot of it can uh, involve, first of all, believing that it can happen. These types of experiences are very common. Uh, we're seeing that approximately one third of people have them without even trying that. And if you start to put effort into it by believing that it's something that can happen for you. And instead of most of us sort of go through life on cruise control without a, without spending too much time thinking about, well, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? What is it that would, that would really bring me joy and allow me to flourish as a human being and, and spending time analyzing what your capacities and talents are, what that might entail as, you know, the, the new version of you 2.0 and, uh, and what you could do that would be good for you and good for other people and really give you a, a an overwhelming vision of success for the future and spending time analyzing that. And then that's, here's the real key point that, that the answer, the solution to the problem of, what do I do with the rest of my life doesn't come while you're actively trying to solve the problem during that analytical phase is when you're filing away bits of information into your unconscious brain. And then when the answer comes is when you're not actively trying to solve it, when you're in a distracted state that, uh, which is why I'm a big fan. I tell readers, go for a walk, leave your phone at home, uh, take a shower, don't even if you have a waterproof phone, don't take it in there with you. Um, meditate, pray, 
prayer is a common one because it's it's you know another form of meditation uh just get used to maybe lying on the couch without distraction and letting your mind go anywhere uh you know no offense to to the work that you do but you know if you're going for a walk don't listen to a podcast <laughs> because because you need to get comfortable with being alone with your own thoughts because that's when these sudden insights arrive is when you least expect it but there is the pre-work that you can do to put the information into your brain that during this distracted state allows those little bits of information to meander and collide and gel on a profound way that suddenly delivers unto you the answer which can be incredibly motivating because you're suddenly very excited and there's a positive neurochemical rush that says, oh, yeah, this is it. This is what I got to do. You know, we've been talking, of course, about people that, you know, you mentioned the person that had a lot of weight to lose and smokers and, you know, that person that's destitute back against the wall and, you know, they have that that decision time. But, you know, I think sometimes there's a far greater amount of people that are stuck in everything's okay or in sort of mediocrity land, um, who don't realize that they maybe are suffering as much as they are. That's absolutely right. There's some research in the book about that is that people, when, when life is good, we are, we become risk averse. We, the, the person that reaches a breaking point has nothing, nothing to lose. Whereas where life is good, we see people who are suffering. We're like, I don't want it to be like that. Um, and, and that can demotivate us to go on an ambitious quest, but you have to realize, so there's a great, there's a great quote that I put in the book by, um, radio personality, Earl Nightingale and Earl Nightingale was one of the few men who survived the sinking of the USS Arizona and the battle of Pearl Harbor. So this guy knew about struggle <laughs> and he, so this quote is most of us tiptoe through life trying to make it safely to death. And when I read that, I was like, I don't want to be like that. Uh, other people may, may read it and say, yeah, what's wrong with that? That's it's that's fine. And, and that's OK. If that's the way you think, if you want to tiptoe through life and make it safely to death, that's OK. I won't judge you for that. But if you read that and say, no, that's not for me. I want to make it unsafely to death. <laughs> I, I want to make it life to be more of a thrill ride where I feel like I realized my true potential. There's uh, William James is uh, the, considered the father of American psychology. Uh, and in the 19th century, he wrote about how um, most people only utilize a fraction of their potential. And, and that if you start thinking about what could I do? If I was truly inspired, if 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 motivation was not a scarce resource, if I had all the motivation I needed to do something, what would that something be? Start asking yourself that question. What's the harm in investigating the question? And you never know what answer might pop up. There's another quote T.S. Eliot wrote. Um, we do not know what egg it is we've been sitting on until the shell cracks. You need to be ready to embrace the audacious. And and you never know. You may end up becoming so inspired that uh, that when this answer comes to you, the world better watch out because you can be capable of more than you imagine. 
And, and you may not even, you know, other people may not see it. Maybe right now you don't even see it, but when something wakes up, these, when people wake up with these visions and missions, the world gets changed. There's a Dylan Thomas poem that's one of my favorites. Do not go quietly into that great good night um, that really kind of talks about that idea of raising a ruckus while you're here and uh, because you're we're all going to (laughs) die. So, you know, yeah, only get one chance at this. So, James, where can people find out more about your work, your writing and, of course, pick up the holy shit moment? So my uh, my website is body for wife. Dot com. So, yes, that was the lovely woman I was talking about earlier, bodyforwife.com. So uh, if they if they click the book tabs, there are links to every possible um, purchasing platform, including audio. If people didn't mind listening to my voice, I'm the one that did the narration for the audio version. And I'm also I'm very active on Facebook. I've, I've got a, a, a big uh, interactive following at Facebook.com slash body for wife. I am less active on Twitter, <laughs> which is uh, at body for wife. And we, of course, put these in the show notes so people will be able to click on them if they head on over to Duct Tape Marketing. So, James, thanks for joining us. Uh, really enjoyed the chat. I'm going to dig into the book myself and uh, hopefully we can run into you someday out there on the road. Thanks so much, John. It's been a pleasure.